Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL. It is Thursday, and that means it is time to banter about, about all the big stories going on in the world of mixed martial arts and combat sports. And that's what the show gives you each and every week. We have a lot to talk about, as always. So let us get into this and introduce the combatants first. Mr. No Gray Area, the hot take titan himself, the co-host of No Bets Bard, and the new CEO of the John Jones Fan Club. He is MMA Fighting Zone, Jed Mishu. Jed, how we doing? I've been eating this week, Mikey. Oh, my God, it's so lovely. What a great week. I wake up one day, we've got all these incredible fights. I didn't think we we're going to happen. I wake up another day. The internet's dunking on John Jones. And then, oh, by the way, Nick Saban's out at Alabama. Everything's coming up Mashu right now, Mike. Yes. There's the air horns. Yes, Bill Belichick out as well, but we're not going to go down that road. I Too much to talk about there. But back of the show once again, ladies and gentlemen, and very few things make me happier than an MMA fighting and morning combat collaboration. He is one half of the multiple-time tag team champions of podcasting alongside Luke Thomas, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Brian Campbell. BC, happy new year, my friend. Look at the pipes. Look at the pipes. Look at these these 12-inch pythons, all right? Get some of this, Jed. Let's go now. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Jed, are you scared? Uh, you know, I I think we're turning the franchise around. The last time me and Brian faced off, I got my first W. It's time to go back to back. Let's, you know, anyone can win one. Two's a streak. So let let's start streaking, Mike. Hopefully, in terms of winning multiple times and in no other way. Nope. I mean, you did the cannonball last time. I don't want it to go any further than that. So uh, let's get into this, gentlemen. A lot of news to discuss, including about a day after we did last week's show, which is the Q&A episode. Question that came up, I believe, 
was about Francis Ngannou and what's he gonna do in 2024. We weren't really sure. Day later, we find out he is fighting in March. No, he is not fighting in MMA. No, he's not fighting for the PFL. He is returning to the squared circle and he is fighting Anthony Joshua. It looks like it's gonna be March 8th in Saudi Arabia. BC, you're the MMA guy, you're the boxing guy too. Francis Ngannou versus Anthony Joshua? Holy shit, man. Yeah, guys, I gotta tell you, I'm a boxing purist. I never thought this Francis Ngannou boxing crossover would be more than one forgettable evening in a big bag to open up, right? Um, this just in, Francis Ngannou is somehow a threat to the real heavyweight title, and I couldn't be happier that he's going in there in this sort of super fight-ish setup against Anthony Joshua, who even with the redemptive victory in December against Otto Valin, which really brought back the idea of the AJ of old, the guy who would walk you down with two-handed power punching and take you out of there, even with that little renaissance for AJ I still don't know mentally what to do with what we saw just a few months ago where Nganu dropped the, the recognized heavyweight champion of the world in Tyson Fury and actually went all the way to the point of a disputed split decision loss. So suddenly this matchup makes everybody not named Don Davis super happy, even this boxing hardcore. Why? Because heavyweight boxing has always been that, well, you're never quite sure because one punch can change everything. Heavyweight MMA, the same thing. But this really is the ultimate I'm not really exactly sure what the hell this is going to look like, even with that first chapter that we saw of Nganu in this crossover with Fury. What we do know about him, much more technical and calculated than we ever could have imagined, has life-altering counter-punching power. Uh, for that old chin of AJ, which has been questionable at times, yeah, rightfully so, you're going to have him as the wide betting favorite because of the technical skill. But guys, I love this showdown, and I can't even believe I'm saying this. If Francis Ngannou goes out there and pulls the upset, he literally might have earned himself an undisputed championship title opportunity. Who's to say, right? I mean, this is one of the most remarkable stories. We've already covered that ad nauseum, but this is a pretty damn remarkable fight. Sorry, PFL. It's time to get inside the box. Oh, man. So much to unpack there. Jed, we didn't really get your reaction to this. I think you wrote about it on the Monday mailbag, but we haven't seen you on camera talk about this. Uh, Francis Ngannou, Anthony Joshua. This is happening, Jed. This is happening. The man who fumbled the bag, and I've said this a million times, and I'll say it again, maybe we all strive to fumble the bag like Francis Ngannou. I hope I fumble a bag down the line like Francis has been fumbling this bag because that bag is so freaking heavy right now. Your reaction to this? I mean, my first thought was, Francis Ngannou, you clumsy motherfucker. How are you going to fumble into this? Like, what an, what an un, unmitigated win that Francis Ngannou is just on a lifetime heater. You know, Bill Burr has that joke about uh, how Arnold Schwarzenegger is, like, the most incredible human being because he came to America and just, like, became royalty just by lifting weights. He's just been on a 35-year heater. Francis Ngannou is our generation's that. He is the main character right now. And I couldn't be happier for him and for, for what this means and where it goes. You've got Brian Campbell, a, a, an avowed boxing person, a dude who did not give Francis any credit, not like not like many of us gave Francis a lot of an opportunity against Fury, if we're being honest. But you've got BC over here being like, he could, he could earn a title shot. I'm excited about this fight. This fight makes sense and isn't a total cash grab. What an unbelievable world we live in, Mike, and it's awesome. 
I don't think this fight's going to go well for Francis. I mean, I wouldn't bet my life on it because I wouldn't bet against Francis with anything that's like exceedingly valuable because this man makes a habit of making people look like assholes. But I think that this fight is going to go how many of us expected the Fury fight to go. But that's beside the point. It doesn't matter. The fact that he's getting this fight means that he'll be getting more of these fights because Yes, if things had gone poorly against Fury, it may have been a one and done. Instead, he's fighting Anthony Joshua. He's a ranked heavyweight <laughs> fighting Anthony Joshua for real stakes here. And even if he loses, there's still Deontay Wilder out there. There is still a Tyson Fury rematch. If he somehow loses competitively, there's another fight with Anthony Joshua. This man has done what no one else in history has been able to do from our sport. He has become a real boxer. Connor got the one big payday and all credit to him. You can't take that away from him and what that money meant and afforded him. Francis is now a real boxer. Like he's he has at least three more fights in, in heavyweight boxing available to him. And that is I don't have words, Mike. I don't know what to say about it. It's insane. I, I love this. I love the reaction. I love the enthusiasm from both of you, gentlemen. So I want to go back to you, BC, because you are enthralled, as Jed said, in, in both worlds, the MMA world and the boxing world. And even some of the boxing media that I've spoken to that I saw in person for the Jake Paul Andre August card, putting Francis over like crazy. And these are people that were certainly not doing that heading into this Tyson Fury fight. They have a newfound respect for Francis. And they were hoping to see him either fight Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua, depending on what happened at that crazy-ass card that Joshua and Wilder just didn't fight each other. But now it works out great for Francis Ngannou. The build to this fight, how different do you feel this is going to be? Because at least in the MMA world, it was like, good for you, Francis. Like, you got the bag. We know what's going to happen here. You're about to get your ears boxed up by Tyson Fury, but you're going to get a whole big bag of money. And this is great for you. I don't feel like... While we're celebrating this now, I think by the time we get to like two weeks before the fight, I don't know if is it gonna be the same? Is it gonna be different? Like, how do you think the build's gonna be compared to the Fury one? Oh, it's gonna be much, much bigger because obviously you're taking away one aspect of the Fury and Ganu fight, which was a major reason why I wasn't behind it. Not that I wasn't behind the Francis story. I, I couldn't have cheered more for Frank the Tank to crawl through the Shawshank tunnel of shit to come out on the other end expired UFC contract still with the championship. I mean, what he did was legendary just to get to this point, but the way that fight was thrown together, just, uh, you know, just, just a couple of stones throw before fury has now has this scheduled February 17th, four belt unification fight with Alexander Usyk, which historically from like a historical standpoint, is arguably the biggest heavyweight fight we've seen in a long, long, long time. To have Francis slide in there at that point with the backdrop of Saudi just throwing money at whoever wants it for the fights, it felt forced. It felt like maybe Fury's taking his eye off the ball. There were a lot of things that took away potentially from that great story. And even more, I think it took away uh, you know, from the potential pay-per-view uh, buys in, in what that fight could have been because of all the negative talk. But here's the difference between that fight and other moments like that historically. Look at Chuck Wepner. He was a journeyman heavyweight, right? The Bayonne bleeder. But he had that one big moment that he not only lived all of his life off of when he was getting beaten up by Muhammad Ali, but late in the fight stepped on Ali's foot and dropped him. They actually made the damn Rocky script for, for the Academy Award-winning first movie about that fight. But here's the thing. It was a fluke. What Francis did against Fury in some ways is the ultimate fluke because how is Francis ever going to live up to what he showed that night? 
but we don't actually know if it is. And that's what makes this one super compelling that not only are there real stakes this time compared to that first one where he went up against the recognized heavyweight champion, the lineal WBC champion Fury, but the belt wasn't on the line. We're, we're saying, you know, the fight's worthless. What does this even mean? That performance for Mangano was so just otherworldly and special. And I don't think he won. I think that's taking it too far if you really know boxing and the way rounds are scored. But he won the story of the night. He proved to us in one night what Jake Paul's trying to prove admirably in about a five, six year spread of trying to improve his boxing skill, get through the rap artists and influencers and NBA players and ex-MMA guys and now seemingly wanting to fight real boxers. But still, it's guys that are 8-0, 9-1. And in the case of Andre August that you mentioned, probably shouldn't have been in there to begin with. Ngannou went in there, whether Fury trained for it or not, whether he was focused or not, and damn near turned the whole thing upside down. So how big is this fight? How different will the narrative be? I really have a feeling here that in the first half, the first quarter of 2024 in combat sports, boxing, MMA, bare knuckle, whatever you got, I don't think there's going to be a bigger event than this one, Ngannou versus Joshua. Maybe other fights will draw bigger gates. Maybe other fights will be better promoted and draw bigger pay-per-view buys. But in terms of the standpoint of getting as many eyeballs to care and take notice on a Saturday afternoon and either buy the pay-per-view or illegally access it or just follow it on Twitter like a lot of people do, I don't think you're going to find one with as much anticipation of this because it's not just another cash-out or celebrity dunk fest. It's got real freaking stakes. And guys, to be honest, I don't actually know if Ngannou can live up to that performance against Fury. Maybe it was an extreme amazing night for an extreme amazing athlete in the most unlikely ways possible. But even with, like I said, him being a monster betting underdog against Joshua, which he should be, he's shown us inexplicably that he has the skills to compete at this level. And like I mentioned before, if he upsets Joshua, I'm really not sure if he ever will fight in the PFL outside of being a good businessman and wanting to maybe give them the minimum of what they expect from him. But he's not only going to have calls left and right, money coming through the roof. Don't forget there's a secondary title holder, Zhang Jalei out of China. They could do a big event there. There's Wilder, there's Fury, there's Unlimited. Maybe you can even argue he doesn't need a win. He just needs to look credible. It's incredible that we're here. And I think the greatest victory, although he's not chasing it, would be one time for Dana to go respect because Dana has tried at every single turn since Francis has left the UFC to disparage, to put him down, to even try to counter program against him, whether it's announcing big fights, what after right after Francis does, or that short-lived hashtag never forget when Dana tried to say that we don't do gimmick fights, but we'd love to do John Jones against Tyson Fury. Even that didn't work out. I think the grace that Francis has shown throughout this entire process is almost more impressive than the performance he showed against Fury. Either way, I can't really explain how we're here, but guys, get me the popcorn, put my boxing purist love away, because this actually somehow is a pure fight that's going to cash in box office and it's going to matter. Damn, I'm fired up for this. I mean, really, Jed, put me in my place. Tell me a reason why I'm overblowing this right now, because I'm ready to, to walk around, you know, in parade with signs and tell me, let's get on board. Let's do this, Jed. I mean, far be it for me to to pour cold water on you. But since you asked, I'll, I, I will oblige you. Uh, I think we all probably know that this fight won't be fun, right? Like, I am... One, just so we're clear, if he, if Francis Ngannou upsets Anthony Joshua, he is never fighting in MMA again. He super shouldn't. Um, our own E. Casey Lydon, who's on the ones and twos right now, has sort of said uh, to us privately at several points 
I don't really know why Francis would ever fight again. He clearly is more invested and interested in boxing and there's more money and a plus B equals C. Like if those are the things that, that, that are true, then why would you ever go back to MMA? And I think that that's true, but I think that at some point he will be forced back to MMA because at some point you have to win boxing matches to keep this up. I think he's got some run to him, but you got to get a dub at some point for you to keep being a boxer in this regard. If he beats Joshua, then he's a boxer and we're just done with this. I don't think he's going to beat Joshua. And like I said, BC, the only the only negative, the only downside to this, because I'm I'm with you. I think it probably is the biggest combat event of this quarter. You know, like I, I think that this is going to be big box office and big eyeballs. People are going to care because of everything you just said. But I also am pretty sure that when this fight happens, it is not going to be fun because I have watched Anthony Joshua compete over the last few years. And yes, his last time out, he looked kind of like that Joshua Volt. He looked really good. Previous to that, he has mostly been very, very defensive, very tepid in there. And Francis Ngannou, for as impressive as he is, for what he has accomplished, he is still not a boxer. And he would tell you that himself. He is, uh, in the interview he gave with Aero Hawani this week, it was, you know, I'm a rookie in this. I am, I am still learning and developing. And so I have a lot of room to improve and all that's true. But at a baseline, what that means is I, I also lack a lot of the skills and that didn't hurt him against Tyson Fury, who I would suggest probably took him lightly and also is a bit stylistically advantageous. The way Fury wants to fight and hang on you and wear on you. Francis is just such a physical specimen that Fury couldn't get away with a lot of that. Anthony Joshua now knows what's coming, knows that there is a legitimate threat, not this ephemeral, oh, he punches real hard, but like, hey, he can actually put some dude down because we saw him do it to Tyson. I think he's going to be extremely defensive and he's just going to jab him a bunch. And this fight is probably going to get boring because Francis does not have the tools to really work around that all that effectively. And we saw in Tyson Fury fight. He doesn't have the tools to really compete for 10 rounds. Like he he does he's never been a high volume boxer in MMA and in boxing it it really waned down the stretch. He could have won that fight with simply more activity but that that's not something he has to him yet. I think that this is this fight is probably going to be really really boring, but again, that's beside the fact. The rest of it is awesome. Just the actual in-ring product will not be thrilling. All right, here's where I want to counter that. Mike, I'm going to take over the show right now. Can I counter this oh, really quick? Hey, okay. listen, I'm just here. I'm eye candy at this point. If you've been following the journey of Anthony Joshua over the past few years, you know, it, it seemed to fall apart when, when Andy Ruiz upset him in Madison Square Garden, last-minute opponent, 2019, 2018, right? It was a big deal. Yeah, he got him back in the rematch, but Ruiz was like 4,000 pounds in that fight. What we've seen since then is an Anthony Joshua who's been having an identity crisis. He can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again within himself, right? He tried to outbox Alexander Usyk twice when Usyk's the best boxer, you know, on the planet, arguably, and certainly, you know, the best pure technical heavyweight we've seen in a long time. Even though his personality switched against Otto Wallin, and that's why it was so refreshing, and that's why he suddenly looks legit again at age 34, let's remember a couple of things. Wallin doesn't have the power or isn't known as an explosive counterpuncher to stop him. And it turned out that his A plan, he walked right through Wallin and showed us who he was. But... 
Anthony Joshua has had a flash chin his entire career. In fact, along with the fact that he was largely learning how to box on the job while already champion, because people forget when Sir Charles Martin or Prince Charles Martin, as he called himself, maybe the least decorated heavyweight title holder in modern boxing history, because he beat Tsar Glaskov when Glaskov's knee went out in the second round and Glaskov never fought again in their vacant title pout. Anthony Joshua knocked out uh, Ch Charles in a couple rounds to win that title. He was learning on the job, and along that way, floored by Klitschko, but got up. Hurt multiple times by lesser opponents, and then eventually getting stopped by Andy Ruiz really seemed to take away a chunk of that manhood and that self-belief. How AJ recovered that was to go for four days and pay an expensive fee to sit in an isolation chamber in a pitch black dark room with only food shoved under the door like he was in jail. And that brought back out the Valin performance. Great, but is he fixed? No, he can be hurt easily. And the one elite skill that Nganu seemed to show against Fury was technical counterpunching. And when you have otherworldly power, you've got good explosive speed because you're a freak athlete, but you have awkward technical skill that Nganu does. The first time Nganu lands big on AJ, that's where we're, when we're going to find out where AJ's truly at. So not only will that go against Jed's claim that this will be a boring fight in which Nganu's trying to catch up to that jab and trying to find anything that's going to happen, if AJ commits to the plan of attack and the intentionality that he showed against Valine, Nganu has the power to floor him, finish him, or at the very least, discipline him by lowering his output. Then what you have? A real fight. So if you know AJ's but that's history, exactly my that's exactly my point, BC. You just made my point for me, though you didn't did, didn't though. realize you, did. you didn't realize you were doing it. No, because you said it at the very beginning. The F a darkness retreat. Like those are, those are fictional. Like the, we're not Aaron Rodgers. We don't have to pretend that that's what brought this performance. What brought the performance in, uh, against Otto Wallen was Otto Wallen isn't a big hitter. And Anthony Joshua knew that he could go in there knowing that this is not a threat. And I am a weapons free. I am free to fire that. It, he knows that he can't do that against Francis, which is why we're going to get, I think the, the Anthony Joshua we've seen the past few years pre the, the Otto Wallen performance. It's not going to be pretty, but I think it's going to be effective because I don't think Francis has the tools to beat him. Now, I stand here willing to say I would never bet my life against Francis Ngannou because that is a fool's bet. He has done so much. And obviously, if Francis Ngannou hits him, this fight's going to be fun as hell. I just don't think that's gun going to happen. Uh, but I, I'm willing to be incorrect, you know, come March, whatever day. I don't remember what date this fight is. It's in March. You know, the it's day like the after if Francis has hit him, like Francis hit him a couple of times and at least made it saucy. That would be great. I hope that's what happens. Uh, you just asked me to pour cold water on you. And the cold water I have is probably the reality that there is a very good chance this fight looks like the previous Anthony Joshua fights, which I don't think anybody has been excited to watch him fight for the last year and a half. The difference is none of those opponents had the power of Nganu. He seems to have an interesting delivery system. And even if Tyson Fury was undertrained and overweight, and I believe both to be true, the fact that he never could get back on track, readjust fully. I thought Fury won the fight literally just by outworking him, right? Like he just yep, barely did enough to win the fight but he was never able to control the terms in a comfortable, satisfying way. And Fury is five times the boxer that AJ is. So if you're thinking AJ is going to 
you know, shine his shoes and be able to touch him and not get hit like crazy. I'm here to tell you that eventually he will. And the first time he does, that's when you're going to get a fight or flight AJ. And if he turns chooses to fight, he could get knocked out. If he chooses to flight, he's going to open up the door for Ngannou to be competitive. Watch your ass, Jed. Okay. Watch it. <laughs> we'll see. I love this you know, much. we can, we can do this again post fight and we'll see. Like I said, I'm not willing to bet my life that I'm right. I just think I am. Last hey, thing Mike, I'll say. Can I ask this. you a question oh, or am I Absolutely. breaking all the rules? Show. Go for it. Go for it. What are the rules? <laughs> what does Francis actually have to accomplish? Maybe short of a Nobel Peace Prize here for the UFC to be willing to co-promote with PFL in a John Jones fight. Like, is a heavyweight Nothing. championship in boxing enough? Nope. No they way. will never do it. You've, you've been around will. New England long enough, BC. You've been around New England and, and Boston people long enough. You know how stubborn we can be. If our flag is planted... We ain't going to help anybody else. You think the UFC would even entertain this only because of the whole PFL thing. They're just not going to give them anything right now. Like the whole, they don't have to co-promote at all. Like Dana was asked about the press conference and I respect that dude for asking the question. I wish he went a little bit further with it. And I think he admits that himself, but the UFC doesn't need to do this fight. They're still printing money, whether they book John Jones versus Francis, whether they book John Jones versus Tyson Fury, whether they not book John Jones versus Tom Aspinall. They are printing money. They are on fire right now. They do not need to do the PFL nor Francis Ngannou any favors right now, and it doesn't change a thing. Now, could uh, things ring, change? Ring, ring, Maybe. ring, ring, Mike. Sorry, I got a phone call. It's uh, it, it's just, okay. Yeah, yeah, Dana here. Oh, Disney. Hi, well, I haven't talked to you since you shut me down over the uh, Tai Chi Palace incident. Yeah, I know PFL is also on your network. Oh, we should cope. We should. Uh, that's what I'm saying, Mike. What if they get the call from above? No. There's only one boss oh, yeah. Dana really has, really oh, has, on. right? I'm talking to Dana right now. What do you What do you think about this? Oh yeah. Uh, if you want my TV rights, then shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was, uh, I was just getting Dana and the <laughs> UFC make Disney a whole lot of money. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I don't think they're all that concerned. Uh, it, it, look, it, it would, would be never cool happen. If they did it. It's never gonna happen. No, it's It'd never be gonna great. happen. It would uh, be terrific. Like, Can you imagine the yeah. tweets, the Don Davis tweets, if this happened? Well, I could eat forever with what Don Davis would be tweeting out <laughs> if this happened. But they wouldn't even be the cold anymore. They'd be number one with a bullet if they they pulled this. It'd be off. the greatest thing the I've ever seen. Oh, Gandhi would be quoted till the end of time uh, from Mr. Don Davis. But and all they had so to do was let this dude box. It's so hilarious to me that if the UFC had just been like, hey, it's totally okay for you to box Tyson Fury. That's fine. Which made even sense because the, the, the overwhelming logic was, well, you'll lose to Tyson Fury and then it will be out of your system. Now, granted, they'd be in a different world, but they could just let him box. We'd be in such a better world. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's like when Michael Michael Scott quit Dunder Mifflin. If David Wallace just let him, you know, if he just took Michael Scott's phone call, he would have never quit and then start the Michael Scott paper company and Dunder Mifflin wouldn't have to pay a whole bunch of money. It's just one of the big what ifs. It's going to be an interesting story, an interesting 30 for 30 down the line. Uh, but let us move on because we could talk about this fight for a while. We'll be talking more about it. Point for round number one goes to... BC sneaks it out 10 to nine and a half. Nicely done. I almost gave flagrant disregard of the rules. I mean, look, Darn. I mean, the show's never the same every what, week. What are we, we animals? Never go to knockout rounds. What are we, if we, <laughs> Just animals. Uh, 
Yes, we are absolute animals on this program and lots to be excited about. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about the UFC and what they're trying to do to counteract this big Francis Ngannou versus Anthony Joshua announced that is trying to make some announcements himself. He's announced another big fight for UFC 299. UFC 300 is starting to come together. So BC, I'm going to start with you, Jed. We, we have already reacted to some of these fights, but there's others we have not yet. Dana White announces, we'll start with UFC 299 BC. Dustin Poirier is back. He wanted a fight at UFC 300. He wanted a big fight. He was hoping maybe a Nate Diaz or somebody like that. He's not fighting at 300. He's fighting a month earlier in Miami, Florida, close to ATT where he trains, and he's fighting Benoit Saint-Denis, the god of freaking war, not Nate Diaz. Co-main event, your reaction to this matchmaking, because I didn't see this one coming, and we're getting it, and I'm freaking excited for it. Yeah, in the, in the immortal words of Tommy Chong, uh, what balls he has, because Poirier probably could have sat out and just, you know, waited for the next big BMF opportunity or what have you. I am interested in hearing what he was ultimately promised for taking on such a matchup, but it's probably not all that far removed from when Gaethje came back against Rafael Fazeev, looking to reestablish himself against one of the younger guns on the way up. That could be the case for Poirier, who looked so good against Michael Chandler and then obviously so bad in the BMF rematch against Gaethje. I like this fight ultimately, even if I do have questions about the reasoning. It's Poirier not wanting to sit out, knowing that the phone could ring for big opportunities that really didn't come together. I mean, seriously, guys, why is he not fighting Nate at UFC 300? And why is UFC 299 like six times better as we stand right now than UFC 300? Because you can charge a ton. They're charging $500 for the nosebleed seats in Miami. I guess maybe. I'm not going to complain too much. 299 is great. I love this fight. But I don't know if you have questions for me about 300. But I got questions for Dana, Mick, that new guy they hired that no one knows his name, and even <laughs> Joe Silva, okay? Because what are we doing here, guys? 300 is supposed to be life-changing. It's supposed to wake up the casuals, the old fans, the everybody. Come to our 30th anniversary celebration. It's going to be the time of your life. Unless you live in China and you thought you were getting Sean on versus Wei Li there, because you ain't. And oh, you know getting- what, Mike? I don't think we're getting much at 300. And Luke Thomas said that a month ago, and I thought his black heart pessimistic ass was just being Luke Thomas. 
Yeah, I think he's right, though. I think he's right. What are we doing, guys? What are we doing? I don't want to complain here. The, it's so optimistic and bright. UFC in 2024 is going to be great. And even if you don't like UFC, we got a lawsuit coming to fruition in a couple of months. So everybody's pleased and satisfied. But 300 was supposed to be, hey, boss, you're sending me there no matter what, because this is a life-changing event. Guys, I covered 200, right? Even though it didn't go out as planned because John dropped the bag, it was still awesome. Brock was there. It was intense. It was in Kane came back. Pre-Lojack Kane came back and looked like a million bucks. What are we getting at 300? We, we ain't getting what we're supposed to as of now, unless they got many tricks up their sleeves that maybe we'll see coming tonight at a random midnight posting from the war room. I'm waiting, Dana. Oh, man. All right. We're going to get back to this in a second. But, Jay, we've had a couple of days to digest this poor Asad Dede fight. Please, very give, – has anything changed here? Does the fiber – does it make – how much better does it make this card, which has already been stacked anyways? Could this have been a 300 fight? Where, where are we at a couple of days later? And then we're going to talk about UFC 300 and try to get BC to, to calm down a little bit. Yeah, BC, uh, stay tuned. When we talk about 300, I, I will reveal what's going to happen. I've I've stared into the Magic 8 Ball of Truth, and I know exactly what's going to happen, and I think you're going to like it. So, so just just hang around for a minute, BC. Don't, don't, you know, chicken little too much, even though I understand it, uh, because we should really just be celebrating how kick-ass this is, right? Like I, I said it at the top of this episode, Mike. I woke up one day and I was like, holy shit. I didn't think either of these fights were, were going to happen. I did not believe that I like, we talked about it after Armand Sarukian's enormous win over, over Benny Darius. It made the most sense for him to fight Charles Oliveira and a no doubt about it. Number one contender matchup, but we just didn't think that's how that would go. We thought Charles had previously had a title shot. He might just sort of do that thing where he holds on. And instead he's taking a fight. That fight is incredible. That fight would be leader in the clubhouse as it sits today for fight of the year, except for they also announced Dustin Poirier BSD. And that fight was the one that blew everyone's minds because nobody thought Poirier would take that fight. I think I said that several times on different programs. Well, wouldn't it be awesome if Benoit Saint-Denis got to fight Dustin Poirier? Like in, in a different sport, that's the matchup that would happen. You've got this, the, you know, aging old guard action fighter legend versus by all accounts, it appears to be the next version of that dude, the next guy who is Justin Gaethje reincarnate, you know? What if we just banged them together like action figures and it was sick and awesome? Well, Poirier would never do it. And then Poirier did because, as I said on, on our reaction pod, he's got a, a big set hanging like Sam Cassell in the dance, you know, after ripping a Monster 3. That's Dustin Poirier. And with some more time to think about it, I have realized why he's accepted this outside of the fact that he's the ballsiest man that ever there was. He can win this fight. This is an extremely winnable fight for him because we're talking about a battle-tested dude that like there are few men who have gone through what he has gone through in the cage and come out on the other side. Before Gaethje put him on his ass for the BMF belt, that first one, that this was that matchup then. Justin Gaethje is, I am looking for my equal in the sport. I am a man who creates car crashes and none can take what I can take. And Dustin Poirier was like, actually, I just have a little, like I've got pretty solid defense and I too can, can bring the thunder. And that's what he did. And that, I think looking at BST, he can say to himself, 
I, like I have to fight somebody and Nate Diaz would have been my preferred option, but that's not realistic. I want to fight. Here's a dude that I can beat. And when I beat him, I'm going to get all of this shine. He is the hot commodity right now at lightweight. Benoit Saint-Denis is, he is rising and I can catch him now as opposed to in a couple of years and I can take advantage of them. I am very defensively responsible. Benoit Saint-Denis has only loosely heard of the idea of defense and he's not sure that he wants to be involved in it. Like, I think that this is a very winnable fight for Poirier. It's going to be super sick. And when he wins, he's probably not promised anything like a title shot or whatever. But when he wins and his stature in the sport, he's going to be right back in the conversation because that's what this win will afford him. It will put him right there to be like, hey, I beat this dude. Give me a title eliminator next and let's see what happens. So these fights rule. I am super pumped about 299. And... I'm pretty pumped about 300, Mike, because I know what's going to come, and it's going to be spectacular. Okay. We're going to get to that in a second because I want to go back to you, BC. You're shaking your head right now. Here's what we have for UFC 300 so far. It was We, we were waiting. Dana White goes on Instagram Live at like 9 p.m. Eastern and says, in 20 minutes, you MFers, I'm going to announce a title fight for UFC 300. Then he goes on the UFC's feed and says, within the hour, MFers, I'm going to announce the title fight. And then like 17 hours later, he finally announces the title fight, Zhang Wei Li versus Yan Zhonan. Now, I did not see this on Twitter. I saw it on MMAfighting.com's great website, so I didn't get to see any reaction to it. But when I did heck of a morning this morning, a lot of people are saying, oh, everyone was shitting on this. And I'm just like, okay. So here's what we have right now. Zhang Wei Li versus Yan Zhonan, title fight, not going to be the main event. My guess, maybe the first of three title fights, which... Come on, that's not that True. bad. Yuri, Yuri Prohashka versus Alexander Rakic, pretty damn good. Charles Oliveira versus Armin Sarukian is incredible. This is the do-the-thing fight. If there ever was one, this fight needed to happen, and it does. Calvin Cater versus Altamain Sterling is super interesting in a number of ways. And then we got Bo Nickel probably doing Bo Nickel things. You're trying to get a star over. What's the problem here? There's five fights announced. We don't have the rest of the card yet. Are we... Are expectations too high, BC? Is yours too high? Are we are we reacting too quickly to what this card could be? <sighs> are my expectations too high? Well, apparently they are because based on what we have there, which is obviously very good, but hey, we're not shooting for very good guys. It's UFC 300. It's like, you know, four months after your 30th anniversary concluded. It's supposed to be great, like UFC 100 was and like the intention of UFC 200 was. Also, I have these expectations because Dana has said multiple times, you guys are going to see these early prelims and essentially shit your pants and, and think, man, those should have been main card fights. So when I hear these filler fights that don't look like filler fights, they look like they could be main events of any fight night, co-main events even of a pay-per-view, especially when we're talking about Sarukian versus Doe Bronx. Love that shit. But you told us it was going to knock it out of the park. Now we're about three months away, and I'm not the only one who spent the last – Two months while there haven't been much fights going on, filling podcast time with what? Mock drafts of UFC 300. So I'm as, uh, you know, inclined to understand who might be available and who absolutely isn't right now when we talk about things like Ramadan, which is coming up, injuries. Oh, that guy just is always fighting at 298. Can he turn around quickly? Look, I understand that things could happen, meaning Jets boy DDP, who I gave no chance against Robert Whitaker last year, and he has completely turned me around to his possibilities. 
What if he finishes Sean Strickland early? Could he come back against Izzy in the main event of 300? Yeah, you could. That'd be just fine, right? But if Shaunan versus Whaley, which is obviously under normal circumstances, a pretty good to, to pretty damn good fight. Guys, that fight belongs in China. I mean, it's an absolute no-brainer. So when that fight gets haphazardly announced in the way that you described, Mike, that was stop the presses, get ready. It's not going to be one of these fake Nina drama power slap announcements. It's going to be a real announcement, and we all stay up late. And then it's that fight, which, okay, if that's the third fight down on the main card in the first of three title fights, I'm certainly not going to hate it. But we're running out of time, and if that's the co-main event, then I've got more questions for you, UFC. What is going to be the main event? You know, I thought maybe we'd get Gaethje versus Max Holloway for a BMF fight. But you got Mahachev saying, I'm going to be back against Gaethje in June. I mean, you also have Connor saying, I'm coming back in June. My whole point is, guys, we're running out of time. You look around, the options are getting fewer and fewer. Um, I do expect something. I'm not saying it's the best thing for MMA that one of these punk Lesnar, Rousey types comes out of the woodwork, GSP, you know, comes out of mouthballs and comes back. But that's what you kind of should expect for 300. They hyped us up on the expectations that from top to bottom, it's going to be killer. It's it's just sort of like deliver. This is not just one of your four majors. This is one of your every five to 10 years super majors. You've got all the money in the world, the deepest roster possible. When you announced Shaunan versus Whaley, again, a very good fight that should be in China <laughs> as your potential co-main event for 300. You're telling us, you're telling on yourselves that you don't have a plan for 300, okay? You don't. They Even do. Even if they come out of nowhere, they, they do, go, you BC. know what? We have a solution. It's going to be Aspinall and uh, Poetan. Yeah, that'll work. I mean, you know, why pop for that? It'll be interesting. But my whole point is when they, when Connor announced himself for June, you know what I said to myself? This is great. That means they don't need him for 300. I don't even know if they know what they need. Jed, you seem to have all the freaking answers. You got this free that's never even been used. Tell me. Tell me what I'm missing here because they got me fired up. Not me. They did. This is their fault. Look, I'm not saying that you're wrong. Uh, one, this, like, obviously, it's a bit ridiculous to announce you're going to make an announcement and then it's it's Zhang Yan. Like, that's, that's tough seats. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Particularly because you're right. That should be a Shanghai card. But let's be real honest. This is not your co-main event. This is the third fight. And maybe they'll order it as, like, the second fight or the first of the main card because we've seen them do that. But this is the third fight. Your co-main event is going to be Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad. That I am unclear why we're not announcing that unless it is for this grand plan that they will announce that early next week because you said it, and I don't know if you believe that you were saying it or not. What is happening is 300, they are waiting. They are waiting to see what happens in next week's main event. If Drickus Duplessis beats Sean Strickland, that evening Dana White is going to go to him before he even walks out. He's going to go before he even comes to his press and be like, Hey, are you good to make a quick turnaround? Can you do 300 against Israel Adesanya? And if he says, yes, I can boom, Bob's your uncle. That's your main event for 300. If, if Sean Strickland wins, they're probably just going to ask the same thing to Sean. Hey, are you good to run it back with Izzy at UFC 300? Sean is a crazy person and will, of course, say yes, even if he's not physically capable of doing it. He's still going to take that fight. They are waiting to see that they can get a yes to that answer. They can't announce it for obvious reasons, but 
that's what's going to happen. And if for some reason that fight can't happen because Drickus breaks his arm and cannot turn around and uh, even though he wins or Sean Strickland does something similar, if there's a reason they can't take the winner of this next weekend's card, then they will say, Izzy, it's it's your time. It, Israel Odissonia will be in the main event. It's just whether it's against Sean Strickland, Drickus Duplexi, or Alex Pereira for the UFC light heavyweight title. One of those three outcomes is going to be your main event for 300. I would argue that that's not like as big as sort of they've shot in, in other years, but still when that's the capper to Leon Edwards, Bilal Muhammad, which I have uh, dubbed the leafy greens of title fights and Yan Janan, uh, Wally Zhang as, as another fight. And you're going to get Alexander Rocket, Prahashka and, and Aljo Cater and Bo Nickel. And they're probably going to put some other, you know, high profile fighters on the prelims. I think that's enough to sort of sate our lust for what 300 should be. So I agree. They haven't done this well. Like that. They, they, we all agree. I think everyone agrees. Connor should be headlining this, but I think we are still, they are going to have made a good enough chicken salad out of the chicken shit. They've, they served themselves. Sir, sir. I don't agree with you that Connor should be the main event. I thought it would be an easy Connor against anyone would be an easy main event, yeah. but Connor's not in the title position right now. Connor against Gaethje for the BMF. You want to make it the, B, the main event? You don't have Fine. to make him the main event, but yeah, he's you the main You cannot event. justify 300 doing Connor against Chandler for the main event. They probably would do it anyway. Notwithstanding a couple of things you said that really made me upset. One thing that didn't, <laughs> you're right about one thing. If it is, and this is the fight when we did our first mock draft three months ago, Izzy versus Poetan at 205 for the bell, I think is easy. Main event guaranteed. I have to see that. It's interesting. It's wild. If they end up doing that based on your setup and scenario, I will be very happy. But I will be very happy about the main event because you just came out, you know, strutting like a peacock on Leon versus Bilal. Hey, I'm here to tell you, that's a that's a that's a good title fight. That ain't a great title fight. That ain't a I called it Leafy Greens. Why I've do you never... think that I'm strutting by calling it Leafy Greens? I I, I had a, a, an image of these type of Leafy Greens. Which, which no, no, I mean I mean the shitty vegetables on your plate that you eat because okay, you well, have to. You just to. started it's your the broccoli of title was... fights. You 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 said, look, if that's the co-main event, that's fine. That's not fine as the co-main event. That's fine. one of the. That's one of the worst title fights you can make right now. It's necessary. I've never forgotten the name. In fact, Bilal, Bilal I've said it for years, yeah, the guy's got the best rack of anybody not in the strawweight division. Like, the guy is my guy. I love that guy. That fight ain't co-main event worthy. And if you're going to package it with the all-Chinese female title fight that should be in China, then that main event better be spectacular, okay? That's all BC, I'm saying. That's what do you think that fight is if it's not co-main event? It's a title fight between two of the 30 best fighters in the world. This is not Rage's take. The, what is, is that you bury that on the prelims at an apex? If it's not co-main event worthy of a pay-per-view, I don't know what it is. No, it's not Brock Lesnar versus somebody, but this is still a really quality fight to be as the, the sandwich to a title tr fight trifecta. Like that's, this is an outrageous take by you. I just want to remind you of something here. Okay. UFC 200 originally was DC versus John two in the most heated rivalry before Connor and, and Habib happened in UFC history. And then, then what you else? had, then you had Misha Tate against this rising star, Amanda Nunes, who no Nobody one would give a shit about Amanda Nunes. Do not retcon this. Do not retcon this. 
Then you had Aldo Edgar too. You had a returning Kane Velasquez to finally get healthy and maybe make a run at the title. And then when things F up, they called Andy Silva on like two hours notice and he flew in and damn near ruined the night for Cormier with that kick to the body in round three. My point was that's spectacular. Okay. 100 mere Lesnar two a GSP on. I mean, that was spectacular. Shoot, what is this? Dude, this is not spectacular. I was there for this, and the same narrative was there. Again, I'm not saying they've played this perfectly. I think they should have made this more of a grandiose thing that they are building to instead of just a slight elevation. But, like, I was around for the 200 conversation up until, like, the week of or whatever. It was all a little like, what's going on? At this exact moment in time, at 200, we still didn't know that Brock was coming back. Like, it was still like, we're not really sure. Like, yes, John DC2 is amazing. Like, we all love that. But it didn't have the vibes that we have retconned to believing it did. It was kind of in a similar position. I am not saying they'll get it over the top and I'm not saying it'll be as good as 200, but 200 wasn't as good as 100. These things are going to get worse as the UFC cares less about tentpole events like this. But I still think three title fights, one of them being an, an arch rivalry of some sort. The other one being again, two of the top 30 fighters in the world today, even if it's probably going to be boring and not great. And the other one being the first, all Chinese, you know, female fight maybe doesn't make sense here. Still, three title fights on top of what is already shaping up to be a very solid undercard. Like, this is good. The UFC 300, I still believe, is going to be quite good. I have every okay. Hold on, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Let me get me in here with these guys before my Wi Fi decided to take just an absolute dumper. Dude, nobody knew that thing. we played it perfectly. Nobody listening Sorry. was aware that you've just been gone. <laughs> Well, when I have Casey award the point for the for the round, I didn't hear a single thing of until like two seconds ago. Uh, <laughs> they will find out. But here's what I was trying to ask you there, BC, because yes, we have five fights, and let's not forget when you run down this magnificent UFC 200 card, which was on paper, we're supposed to rumor and innuendo we're going to get Connor Nate too. Connor said, "Pay me more." They said, "No." They're like, "Nate, why don't you do this instead?" And Nate's like, "No." Pay me more too. And then they didn't do it. We didn't I even know John Iceland, Mike. Mike, he was right. in Iceland. He didn't want to train. He didn't want to go to the press <laughs> conference. I mean, what are we doing? There's here? a lot going on. There's a lot going on. John Jones, DC, we didn't even know about till like two months before the event, right? Like, I think they announced that in April and the event, like late in, April. It was like April. a little over two months. End yeah, a little April. over two months. We didn't even know Brock Lesnar was going to be on UFC 200 until the day of UFC 199. The day of did. 199. Okay. Aerial news. So, yes. Are he we announced it at one ninety nine? I remember because that day was a shit which was show. a month before the card. No one knew he was coming back until a month before. What I'm saying is, are we being a little too harsh considering what rabbits the UFC has been able to pull out for these mega cards in the past on somewhat short notice? We only know five of the fights. We only know a third of the card right now. We haven't. We don't even know what the rest of it's going to look like. We can guess we could try to figure out and try to put the pieces in place but i don't even think i don't know if even think we're going to get a main event announced for this card for like another three to four weeks at this point even if jet what no, jed says in, is true two weeks if ddp and sean strickland beat the shit out of each other and ddp wins a decision i don't know if he's going to turn around in time what i'm saying is I understand our expectations are lofty and they should be and this is a conversation we have as a website and you have on your show all the time we have seen them do great things, and we de almost demand that and expect that from them, and it's not wrong for us to ask that from them. 
But five fights in, we have a title fight and a whole bunch of storylines that we can add for all of these fights that are announced. Are we being a little too harsh right now? Who knows? Maybe when the next 10 fights are announced, we could be like, eh, maybe this wasn't as good as we thought it was going to be. But right now, are we being a little too hectic is basically what I'm trying to ask you. Hectic. Nice play on words. I get that, you know, maybe you're not so mad at me. You're just disappointed. That's why the fatherly tone comes out. I mean, you know, it's like, wow, did I really, I really screw up that bad, dad? I mean, great. Wow. I'll just tell you this. When you look at the disappointing people, when you look at the cupboard though, Mikey, it's kind of bare right now. All right. Kind of bare. Kind of bare. Maybe. Kind of bare. Maybe not. Kind of bare. Okay. Wardrobe malfunction. Kind of bare. It's kind of bare. Like, like right? Like, great. We don't know. Israel Disney is just going to main event 300 and then we'll all be cool with it. Like, Jen, we laid will out, be fine. We laid out so much wackiness that would work here that is available. You could do Tom Aspinall versus Derek Lewis on this card for the interim I heavyweight mean, title. It, look at your face but you're telling me right now of my dream you like, would watch the hell out of that bc and you why know would Derek you would Lewis deserve an interim title shot like what are you talking why does anybody about deserve anything for two, in the UFC for two big anymore. reasons bc one who gives a shit about an interim belt it's fraudulent and two because it'd be sick we talked about this when we did uh, an episode of damn they were good my my podcast we did the the uh the one on mirko krokop and it's like yeah krokop fought like nine times in 04 or whatever and not all of them are winners but you know what all of them were dope as shit and if you just had tom aspinall go in there and run over Derek lewis it'd be cool as hell like we'd all what if Derek it, wins so. how funny would life be also that would be lewis deeply be funny yeah that was i don't that think would, that will happen but that would be awesome yeah, they'd take this heavyweight title picture, which is already, you know, a disjointed mess, and it would just completely – I mean, come on. Come on. You guys are better Curtis than Curtis and Jail. Listen. You got to allow fun there in are your options. heart, BC. Yeah, you got to let fun, fun in your fun. heart. MMA would you is be, serious, guys, okay? Would you be okay? Would you be okay if Dana White – Dana says he's going to announce a couple more fights today. Say so the shuffle he, can also happen, Mike. The shuffle that I've been trying to push for a while, even though it probably won't happen because I do believe Islam Makachev is hurt. What I wanted was Islam and Gaethje at 299. We do O'Malley Cheeto at 300 just so we can beat Ramadan. And that's a nice little shuffle up. And then we do the three title fights. That's the main event. We put the rivalry in the head spot. You could still do that right now if you could find something to fill 299. But 299 is so stacked that like, if if you wanted to just do something rando in that spot, like it's still good. We're still going to watch it. But the point is it, we have to, I don't know what to do, but let's just have fun with this. If they, if Dana White comes out in an hour and says, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Islam is actually more injured than we thought. He's not going to fight till November. Let's do Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway for the BMF title. Would you be good with that? Would that be a 300 ish kind of a fight for you? I'm, I'm good with that. Zero good chance. With that. And I got many creative ideas. Fight. Okay, Brock versus Tuivasa, uh, Delizze versus, versus JP Bays. Like, there's a lot of you know what I mean. Like, there's there's you know Brock versus Jim Miller. You know, shout out I to mean, Anthony Smith. There's some heat there. I thought I had the hottest takes in the game, and he just lost his goddamn <laughs> mind. It's great. You do Jim Miller versus Paul Felder on that card. That's a nice little 300-y kind of a fight. Little little appetizer I mean, that's a terrific there. Terrific prelim card. That's a terrific hey, prelim early fight. prelim feature fight. I'd be I'd be into that. Yeah. What, Look, what I'm saying I is you a, could be right, BC. You you could be right, but I think it's too early to to shit on this. We're only we still have ten more fights to be announced. You know that, that's all I'm trying to say. 
either Izzy or Pereira are fighting in the main event and maybe both. <laughs> That's just a, what's going to happen here. We need and it'll be sick. In my perfect world, we just go ahead and do Cleo Roundtree versus Alex Pereira because that would just be, oh, God, that would be great. Well, we'll see. There's a lot more time and who knows? I'm hoping Dana jumps on and makes this announcement like right now so we can react to it, but we'll see what happens. So, 300 still coming together. Next weekend. But BC, I mean, real quick before you move on. We I talked like a lot. become an intervention, Mike, and it's very No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm curious I'm curious to get your thoughts because you you and I and Jed like like I said, we are the ones who probably give the most shit to the UFC for card quality. Like a lot of people be like, yeah, we'll find diamonds in the rough. We're, we're the ones that'll tell you, like if a card's really good, it's really good. And if it sucks, we're going to be the first ones to tell you that it sucks. And we're not going to mince words about it. We try to tell you the truth and give you what you need. Compared to last year, where we're just like, okay, there's some cool things that happened and the results were the story more than the actual fights on paper. Do you feel like 2024 is shaping up to be a more exciting year in terms of card quality and the UFC like really putting forth more of an effort? I think it will be because they get the TV deal coming up and I think they really want to make take the best strides possible. But do you feel like when we have these conversations in like August, September about the effort the UFC has put forth in putting quality cards together, do you feel like this will be better than 2023? Absolutely. There was that unexplainable stretch where the main events and co-main events were still strong in 2023, but the filler up and down was becoming more and more unacceptable, missable. I do think that'll change this year. I think you're also going to get some in-between super cards that will matter. There's going to be a London fight night that Dana said would be like a pay-per-view, a Saudi fight night that he said would be like a pay-per-view. I think that you take all that into account and maybe you, what you mentioned too about the the upcoming TV rights negotiation, I think they're going to come back big. 299 suggests that. Um, I don't hate 298 either up and down. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're going to be fine here. But you did ask me a question. And I had a passionate answer, and I stand by it. And I love you for that, BC. That's why you're here. If you didn't bring this passion and thunder, you wouldn't be here as much as you've been. You're outside of MMA fighting staff members. You've been on the show more than anybody else. Jed, do you feel like 2024 will be a a year where we'll be going on preview shows, being like, you know what, this is pretty good, more so yes. than, eh, this is trash. Undeniably, yes. Um, so we're still going to have the, hey, this is trash for Apex cards because the Apex is where dreams go to die. Um, but the rest of them, I mean, it, this is a contract year. It's, it's in any sport, a contract year is the year you can expect the best play out of the player. The, the TV rights deal is coming up. The UFC is going to be doing what they can to be like, to maximize their negotiating leverage. And they already have a ton of it. Like they don't need to, but they're going to do, they're going to pull out all the stops. Um, particularly because this also could theoretically be the last year that their business is allowed to operate in the same way that it currently has. So, you know, make all the money you can while the game is still rigged in your favor. Uh, but like they're, I think they're going to, to fire out. It's why I was so shocked by the Connor international fight week announcement, because that means you're waiting until June to get Connor on the schedule. Whereas I was almost dead certain you run him at 300 and then hopefully you can get him at least once more in the year, maybe even twice more if he's feeling froggy. So even that, like even accepting that, I still think every pay-per-view I think is they're going to really be shooting for it. Like BC mentioned the Saudi card, London, like they're, they're going to have some pretty big, no night night cards, no Che. Uh, like they're, they, I think they're going to be taking big swings this year to maximize the negotiating leverage they have for the upcoming TV rights thing. Casey, who wins this round? Because 
I mean, my disappointment speech, it'd be wrong. It'd be wrong for me to, to, to give the point here. So who gets it? Mr. Leafy Greens, Jed Mishu. <laughs> ah, Jed Mishu gets it. You didn't okay. have to tell him. Nobody knew. We did it seamlessly. Casey, like, hit me up, was like, Mike's out. Just jump right in, take over. We we're going to be great. And then, then you, told, you told the viewers because you're an honest man. I'm a, I'm a man of truth. What could I say? I say how I feel, and I didn't want to let this slide. It would weigh on me the rest of the day if I didn't tell the world uh, that my Wi-Fi shit the bed in the middle of the best show we've ever done. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about some more drama. And Jed, we'll start with you. You have the message on the whiteboard behind you. John Jones, don't be scared. We talked. We had a little melting pot reaction to this, kind of winged something together, and you supported Tom Aspinall in this social media beef with John Jones. As everybody knows at this point, John Jones was scheduled to fight Stipe Miocic at UFC 295 in November. Tom Aspinall steps in to fight Sergey Pavlovich on short notice, becomes the interim heavyweight champion with a quick knockout. And now the MMA community is like, we need to see John Jones versus Tom Aspinall. Forget me, Stipe. I want to see Jones versus Aspinall. The UFC is like, no, we have to do Jones versus Stipe. John Jones saying, yes, I have to fight Stipe. And Stipe is like, yeah, dude, I'll fight John and then I'll fight you, Tommy. Where are we at here? Like, this is all kind of very dumb, but at the same token, it is a very important conversation with this heavyweight division right now because we essentially have two champions. Tom wants to fight John Jones, and he should demand that. And John Jones wants to fight Stipe with what he's accomplished in his career. He should demand that as well. So where are we at here a couple days later after we reacted to this? So I'd encourage everyone to go listen to our reaction. Um, And I've had a lot of time to think about it. And I think that what John is trying to say is just a big old chicken, Mike. He's scared. He's scared of Tom Aspinall. He wants to fight the geriatric firefighter instead. The dude who can't even walk in and out of a UFC event anymore. The dude who hasn't won a fight in four years, but this is a legacy bout that means so much. No, the only truthful thing that John said in any of his, um, belabored ranting with twittering was I want this fight. The UFC wants this fight. Uh, Stipe wants this fight. That's true. All three of them want it for very different reasons. And none of them are good. Like none the only person who has a good reason to want this fight is Stipe because of the title shot. So of course he should want it. John and, and the UFC won it. That's it. And that's the three people in the world who want it is Dana, John and Stipe. And I guess their relatives, Beyond that, not a soul is interested in this fight. And I would be much more accepting of what John is saying because at some level I do recognize the the goal here. You know, take the easiest fight for the most money. That's the old Chael Sonnen adage. That's, that's how business works. I don't piss on my head and tell me it's raining. Don't say you're doing this for legacy or that – that uh, Tom Aspinall hasn't earned it or any of the other nonsense that he spewed out there. Just own it. Just be, be for real about it. This is be the John Jones who says, I'm go- I would kill you, Daniel Cormier and not the one who is putting on airs on, on TV because he wants to project an image. That's not going to, we all see it. And you know, I know we all see it because the internet spent, Friggin' Tuesday dunking him to the center of the earth. It was delightful. I had the best day of everyone being like, hey, 
John Jones. He's scared. And, and that's it. That's really all it is, is don't be scared, John. If your, your legacy depends on this fight, as I told Eric on Tuesday when we did the reaction thing, man, if you don't accept fighting Tom Aspinall, a lot of people will defend you to the end of the earth because they are the John Jones defenders are here and they are a band united. But many people, and I will be at the head of this particular charge, will be like, well, could never be my goat because I've done the research, Mike. In the time since we did our last podcast to this one, I went out, I, I investigated. I reached out to a couple of agricultural scientists and they have confirmed to me that scientifically, Goats cannot be chickens. Goats and chickens are two different things. And if you're too chicken to take on Tom, you could never be my goat, John. Could never be. So take that and make the right decision. Fight Tom Aspinall, baby. Let's go. BC, you, you heard what Jed just said. And and one of the times I introed him on the show, and I don't think he loved this, but I think it's making more sense. I, I introduced him as the David Koresh of MMA media because he started this <laughs> gaslight john jones campaign and i gotta tell you i gotta tell you between the dms i've been getting We've this gathered week, members <laughs> the gaslight john jones campaign that jed mishu has started has grown exponentially this week but after hearing what jed has to say we love drama in the sport and by the time these guys if they actually fight each other the ufc is going to use these tweets to build this fight do you have a side here like what, what has been your reaction to this jones aspidal back and forth well, I had the similar reaction as Jed initially, which was, John, you should have just kept your mouth shut, right? Like you are, you are, you're the corporate champion at the moment. The company has decided that this Stipe fight to them for the history, for the potential money in, in box office at stake still matters, still has chef, shelf life a year after it almost didn't. And what I mean by that is we already had the debate last November at MSG ahead of that, whether this fight should have been happening or not. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, no, they're too old. Stipe hasn't fought in three years, blah, blah, blah. I stood the course and defended the fight then because – it was MSG. It was history. It was a tentpole event for the year. It was one of those moments that, you know what I said a couple, as a promoter, this is the entertainment business. Sometimes you got to do that. That all changed when John got hurt, especially now that we're looking at best case scenario, midsummer return, probably maybe even more likely to the fall now that he's added the second surgery on top of that. So what I'm trying to say is John should have just shut up because he decided to play the corporate route. The company wanted to go in this direction. He said, let's go. They're going in that route. And what they've done, unfortunately, is make everything John tried to say to defend himself look bad, meaning specifically his, his claim that you have the interim title, Tom, and that's worthless. No, John, because of this decision, now the full title's worthless. The full undisputed, the you know, the full official UFC heavyweight championship is now the senior division title because combined they have one fight together in the past four years. And there are elements that if this had happened under any other situation, John would have enough respect that you'd go, you know what? I might not agree fully with what he's saying, but dude, he's the freaking goats, John Jones. The problem is, John, you will be sitting out a full year against a guy who will be sitting out a full four years by the time you fight. And John, you've only fought once in the last four years. And it was for a vacant title against a guy who had just lost to the champion on one leg who then left the promotion. So the problem here, John, is we're already not getting John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, the biggest heavyweight fight really 
for UFC of all time, right? Not bigger maybe than Fedor versus Crow uh, Cop. And, you know, but it's wild in the same calendar year that, you know, boxing can't get it right, yet we're getting Fury versus Usyk probably two times in a row for all four titles. And good Lord, maybe the winner of AJ versus Ngannou of all people are going to fight the winner. So we're not only not getting Johns versus Ngannou, Jones versus Ngannou, but now we're in this announcement, this verbiage by John is telling me, that he's going to retire after this, that all the pessimists that uh, predicted he was going to retire in November at MSG were probably right. And that's what's going to happen. So that has actually made the full title completely meaningless. It's not about what Aspinall has achieved to get to this point. It's the fact that he has, he's prime. He's 30 years old. He looks like a heavyweight of the future in terms of his style. We haven't seen a lot like this. We thought gone was heavyweight 2.0. Turns out it might actually be Aspinall and you're outright telling on yourself and telling us that you're going to duck him and you're going to retire. Only you don't have a leg to stand on here because of all the time frames that we talked about. You didn't beat a defending champion for the title. In fact, not your fault, John, but Cyril gone shit his pants in the middle of the octagon and you submitted them in about a minute and a half. So it's even worse when you then sit out a year, you're avoiding the top guy. Now your title kind of means nothing. And the reality of all this guys is although we all started mad at John, we're really mad at the promotion. It's misdirected hostilities toward that that probably should go at the promotion in Dana. This is really ridiculous that they're going to go an official one more calendar year and still try to pull this off when it's very possible that Aspinall could defend the interim title twice before Jones Stipe actually happens, which is mind-boggling. Here we are, guys. You know when I come on this show every once in a while and I complain that things are headed toward boxing? Like, I actually know boxing, right? I know the pitfalls. I know the stains that you can't get off your skin. But because you've been injected so deep, you can't get enough of this BS. This is exactly a boxing move. Let's have a second title that's meaningless, and we'll defend them both so we can have more main events that the people are happy about because they're title fights, and I'll buy a ticket to that for 500 to 900 dollars in the nosebleeds that's where we're at it's a corporate decision so john you should have just kept quiet and let the people talk and then when you beat stipe you should have just retired that would have helped your go argument now the asterisks are going to be so large into his go argument that it pains me to have to say that why because i predicted john jones would move up to heavyweight win the championship like 13 years ago like everybody else we've been waiting for it to happen it finally happened and now you're telling me we can't fight Francis, we can't even fight Tom, and we got to fight that other. I mean, yeah, there we go, guys. Okay, so no, I'm not happy. Thank you. Man, the energy levels were just there. Jed, what do you think? You might have another person on your side here. Oh, I mean, the movement's growing day by day, and I feel great about it. Uh, the last thing I'll say on on this particular instance, because um, it, I haven't seen a lot of people posit this, and I probably not going to be popular. Uh, John's belt is fake. It's fraudulent belt. It's uh, among the most paper titles that exist in the history of the UFC heavyweight or just heavyweight titles um, writ large or just UFC titles writ large. He, he beat Cyril Gaon, and at the time, that's a good win, and maybe that win ages well, maybe it ages poorly. We, we really cannot say at this point in time. It will depend on what Cyril Gaon goes on to do. If Cyril Gaon puts together five wins, reclaims the belt, and ushers in a new era that that win will age beautifully for john jones cyril gone loses six of his next seven fights and it's like actually we were we you know we we overhyped him at the moment that that's just what context will get with time but he did not beat the champion to get that and now fairly or unfairly the reality is that 
broadly, people believe that Tom Aspinall is the best dude in this division. Or if he's not, he's like, he is the guy. And so while fighting Cyril Gaon made sense, I guess at the time with an extra year of context, John Jones is, I, we don't have him ranked as number one heavyweight in the world. And I think more people are coming around to this idea that actually what Tom Aspinall has done is what a heavyweight champion has does. He beats the best dudes in the division. Got four wins over top 10 ranked guys per the UFC's ranking. John has one over Cyril Gaon. Tom's best wins are as good, if not better than John's at heavyweight. And so John can say that he was the UFC heavyweight champion, but it's not real. Like it's people are aware that he didn't beat the champion to become the champion. He won the next title, but if he never defends it against a credible heavyweight, is that, is that real? Like I, I was pretty firmly of the belief that Charles Oliveira, when he won the lightweight title by beating Michael Chandler is a paper belt was not a real title because he didn't beat Habib for it. And Chandler was not the dude he needed to be Dustin Poirier. You know what he did? He beat Dustin Poirier, and there were no doubt about it. No questions asked. He is a deserving champion. And then he beat the other guy, Justin Gaethje. No doubt about it. You cannot deny that this man is the real champion. I can and will till my dying breath deny that John Jones is the true heavyweight champion of the UFC until such time as he beats Tom Aspinall. And if he does, then he's done it. And then the, you can take nothing away from him. But if he chooses to fight Stipe for business reasons or whatever. That is a legitimate blemish on his resume to me that I, a lot of people will be comfortable hand-waving away, and I absolutely will not. It will be among the first things I bring up when speaking about his his career arc, his, his argument as the GOAT will be, well, we can't, let's not pretend he was a two-division champion. You guys want to take credit as that? That's not part of the conversation because he wasn't. It was a fake championship, and I'm not going to give any credence to it. Last thing, BC. I never, well, please, I never expected please. him to call Miko, uh, Nico Mangianto over here. I mean, you just you just dropped the doogie all over the Bones Jones. Damn. I mean, look, I think if you want to make the argument John's the GOAT, you absolutely can. I think it's entirely about his light heavyweight run. I Sure. If, if his heavyweight run is beating Cyril Gaon, and again, if Cyril goes on and becomes amazing, then I'm happy to, to reflect on this. But we just don't know how that win's going to age. That's why I made the argument on our immediate reaction thing that the idea that Stipe has a legacy fight is insane. No one with like a, a functioning cerebral cortex will be like, yes, that improves his legacy. Like it, it, it just truly will not in the same way that if he beat Tony Ferguson, it won't do him any good at this juncture. That's just how time works. But, but fighting Tom is legitimately potential. Now there's also the potential that Tom Aspinall loses his next eight fights and sucks. Like that's always at play. Yeah, but I, but, I argue with that, Jed. A no, lot of people well, are saying, well, well, what, why would John have to fight this guy? He hasn't fully proven himself yet. Who knows? Maybe he could lose five in a row. It doesn't matter. Himself. It doesn't even matter about the gone win, what he does. It matters who they were that night coming in when you beat them. So I do, you know, you know, I'm a great disagree with you, agree with you, but it, you can't necessarily change history for that moment, who they were. It's just that, look, I agree it's with you on changing this element. History, it's context. It's context John because they only fight the so many fighter. times. We, we have a belief of what people are at the time, but then with more time, we get to, we get a more 
a more deep and understanding picture. I don't think that would be the case. I think Tom Aspinall is going to be the champ for a hot minute here. But if Tom goes, fights John, loses, and then never, and then has a Dominic Reyes-like run of getting his ass kicked, then that win won't age well. But there is no world where the Stipe win ages well or does anything for his legacy. Tom Aspinall, there is legitimately the possibility he fights Tom, Hey, not only does he have all the accolades everyone knows about, not only did he beat generation after generation of fighter at light heavyweight, he did that shit at heavyweight too. He beat he he beat the next breed of guys at a weight class up, and that adds even more to the storied career. I, there's nothing to be gained by fighting Stipe other than a pure vanity play to say, I have a win over the guy that people broadly consider the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. Like it, it, it is a meaningless fight. And Tom Aspinall is meaningful and could be super meaningful depending on how the next seven years play out after it. Yeah. It's an easy fix. All John has to do is come out and say, Hey guys, I didn't mean that I was going to retire and avoid him. I just mean, he's not in my level. Don't worry. I want to have a legitimate title reign too. I want to make a full title defense, all that. Or, you know, the UFC could fix this very easily by just making Tom fight Stipe in the co-main event of UFC 300 or just by stripping that, or just by stripping John, because didn't they just do that to Jamal Hill and Yuri Prohatska? So it would be very easy, very simple. But to close, I agree with you. I already know John's the greatest of all time. The problem is I don't like when we debate that, that people go, no, hold on. I'm actually more of an Anderson Silva guy or GSP or Fedor or Demetrius or whoever you like in the moment. All, no, I, guys, I John Jones them, is yes. the greatest player of all time. But he's also come this close to screwing it up like 57 times due to unforced errors. John, the finish line is ahead of you. We would favor you to beat just about anybody, okay? Finish the job so there is no debate because you've almost ruined it and blown it multiple times. Somehow Teflon John has been able to stay up this long with no real defeat. Finish the job. We're going to – we would love to – we don't hate you. We would love to laud you as the best. But, but, Jed. This is exactly what GSP did after defeating Bisping, and no one's talking about that, okay? No one's talking about that. He even promised Dana he would defend that title. No one's talking about that. That's all I'm closing with. I mean, well, I I also make the same arguments about GSP, like that his middleweight title does not mean anything. It's it's fraudulent because it is. I mean, it's, it's less fraudulent than John's, frankly, but it's still pretty fraudulent. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't. Bisping didn't fight Yoel Romero. He didn't fight Robert Whitaker. Neither did GSP. All but at least GSP did get the lineal belt. Like he got the appropriate lineal belt, even if every other part of it was paper as hell. Yeah. Here's the one thing I'll say about this: If I'm Tom Aspinall's manager, if I'm his mouthpiece, Tom. Just act like your belt is the real belt. Like no sell John to the nines at this point and just be like, I'm the heavyweight champion. I guarantee you, you say that enough into a live microphone after defending that belt once or twice, however amount it takes this year. John's going to be peeved by that if you call your belt the actual real belt. You will be tweeting up a fucking storm. I guarantee it. So just all you got to do right now. Just do it again. Just keep doing that. Like don't, don't say, John, you're the greatest fighter of all time. Oh, John. I think I could beat you, but your resume is great. No, just no sell John and say, I'm the fucking UFC heavyweight champion and you're not. This is the real belt. Yours is the fake belt. 
You do that, I guarantee you John's going to come knocking on the door. At least he's going to be closer to knocking on the door. He might take a flight. He may not take an Uber to your house, but he's at least going to get on the plane and maybe test those waters a little bit more. That would be my one piece of advice for Tommy Aspinall. I think he's done this perfectly, where I think that you want to start this conversation out being very respectful in the way he has. And I think now after John just had his Twitter Tuesday – now is when you just turn and get yep. super childish. Like I'm not even kidding. I would just post TikToks balking like a chicken at him. And just because <laughs> because it will get him. He's already like he is so mad. Like you can see the energy in his fingers when he is tweeting about this stuff. He is so mad. And so being like, Yeah, you have a fake belt. And then when when he responds, when he's like, Oh no, I have the real belt, I've been champion south 23, your response can just balk at him like a chicken and it will drive him insane he will not be able to cope with it because this he's very easy to needle and you should start that now oh man what a story this will be we'll see maybe these guys will fight maybe they won't if they fight i'm taking all the credit guys i don't care <laughs> the point for round my three goes to achievement in life i can't support cult-like behavior so bc gets it Two to Nonsense. one. Nonsense. It's outrageous. <laughs> My opening argument is maybe the best thing I've ever done on this I show. <laughs> the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There you go. Nate, and by the way, Nate Diaz just doing the thing. This is how you do it. And you don't even have to try hard. Nate Diaz tweeted out, I was supposed to headline UFC 200. Headlining UFC 300 would be better. I mean, the guy's just so good. And now everyone's going to go bananas talking about this, even though I would literally, and I'll say this again, because I don't know if I've said it on the show. 
there are very few announcements that Dana White could make that would shock me for UFC 300. Nate Diaz fighting at UFC 300 would literally shock me. That would shock me. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, by the way, guys, there is a UFC event on Saturday. I don't know if you're aware of this. UFC 297 is next Saturday. We have, I believe this is UFC Vegas 84. And this is pretty good, BC. This is a pretty good card. We got Magomed Ankalaev versus Johnny Walker. Very important fight at 205. You look at this main card, pretty good. There's a couple prelims that are pretty good. What are we grading this one? UFC Vegas 84. Look, we're at the world's most famous apex, so they aren't all going to be winners, but what are we grading UFC Vegas 84 here? Where are your excitement levels? You know, I would say in, on, on paper quality, it's a B minus, but I'll give it a B because it's been so long since we've seen these people and we do need them back. I don't agree on the card step outside of some bantamweight bangers, but I really like the main event, right? And we got to find out exactly where we're at in this wild card of a light heavyweight division and this absolute wild card of a future champion in waiting in Ankalaev who can't stop doing things that get him in the way of that. Um, so he's got a second chance here after this DQ loss to Johnny Walker. I know there's been some trash talk back and forth, and Ankle Ives is a huge betting favorite coming in. There's been a lot of Zapruder film decoders trying to figure out in the three minutes we did see between these two whether Johnny Walker had shown a little bit of an edge or an advantage with those calf kicks. Ultimately, I think it was too close to tell. But outside of the interesting storyline of if the, is this Johnny Walker finally putting it all together and becoming a true title contender, which he would be with a win. In fact, guys, if he went out there and after round and knocked Ankaliyev out, he might be getting a call for Poetan at UFC 300 for all we know. I will say, obviously, the much more important, much deeper story is if Ankaliyev doesn't do it here, which means come out and be solid, mistake-free across the board, show us the threat of that wrestling, but don't lay and pray and be an absolute hammer in the badass that you're supposed to be. If he doesn't do that, is there any more time? Yeah, he's only 31, but it's like how many more chances can you give a guy who keeps fumbling the bag, to, to use an overused term? That's been Ankaliyev up to this point. I legitimately thought he would be, you know, it wouldn't be long before he would gain that title after Jones gave it up. And, you know, Jan Blachowicz had a nice little chapter there. As did Glover, I just thought eventually, as everyone else, it would be around the waist of Ankaliyev. My doubts have grown since then. De Vegas is telling you he's going to squash. If he don't squash... I'm just not sure it ever happens for him because, damn, man, it's there for you. Show us exactly who you are. He gets one more chance Saturday night. Yeah, he needs to go out there and just club around Johnny Walker and get him out of there if he wants to get a title shot because for, for some reason, and and I've actually gone back and watched this fight since, Dana hated that Ankalaya Jan Blachowicz fight. I didn't think it was as bad as he made it out to be. It actually thought it was kind of compelling considering – how Jan had him hurt with leg kicks early and then he was able to battle back and at least get to a dry. I thought he won that fight, but hasn't even sniffed the title discussion since. So he needs to go out there and do something spectacular. But Jed, we've had a little bit of a breather here and we're not getting right back into the pay-per-view, which I think is kind of cool. And I think this is a good little, uh, we're wetting the whistle here with this card. I don't think, I think it's pretty good. I love the Cole main event. There's some storyline there. There are some Bantamweight fights and there are some prospects on this card that I am really looking forward to, to watching BC gave this card a B. Where are you at? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a rock solid B. This is exactly what you want. You know, um, I think this is the upper tier of what apex cards are, are ever going to be here. Um, and it's, a it's perfect. Cause you, you don't want to come back to a pay-per-view because we've been off for a month. You want to 
you want to get the ball rolling. Just like you said, just dip the toe in a little bit. And that's what we're getting here. We've got a main event with stakes. Uh, we've got a co-main event uh, with a lot of stakes. Like if, if Manel cop beats Mateus Nicolau, he could legitimately be next in line to fight for the title, depending on what happens with the Amir Albazi, Brandon Moreno situation. So there's a lot of stakes here on the main card, a lot of good stuff. And then, like you said, a bunch of prospects should be a fun fight card. This is, you use this phrase all of the time talking about fighters, but I I thought of it a lot this week and it's let give people time to miss you. And that's what the UFC does this time of year. They take a month off and it let, it gives us time to look at an apex card like this, where there, there are five events between UFC 300 and UFC 301, or maybe it's two between UFC 299 and UFC 300. There are five fight cards that are happening. If this was one of those, I might shit on it. Like it would still be okay, but it's like if if this is just part of noise, it's not. But because it's the first one back, because the UFC has given us time to miss them, it feels better. It feels I'm I'm more excited about this weekend's card and the fact that it's now going to lead us into UFC 297. So it's a really good card. I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, like it's a really good Apex card, I should say. I'm pretty pumped about it, and uh, yeah, it should be a good Saturday. Yeah, you, you fire this up. Watch some NFL playoffs. It's gonna be great. Can't miss you if you don't leave, and that's that's why this is a nice time of time of year. I got to tell you, after the rumor and in, innuendo going on on Twitter about maybe Kyoji Horiguchi wanting to come back to the UFC, if Manel Cop beats Mateus Nicolau and we get Manel Cop versus Kyoji Horiguchi next in a number one contender mm-hmm. fight, oh my god, that would just be incredible. Maybe put it on three hundred BC. Right. We'll spice things up a little bit. Who do you guys think, think is speaking of three hundred? Who do you think is going to fight for the uh, vacant women's featherweight title at three hundred? <laughs> speaking Ronda of Rousey things that Holly Holm. you know that have gone away and we we haven't grown. Yeah. There, <laughs> it, it wouldn't. I, I'm I'm hearing that it's not the case, but for a long time I thought Ronda was coming back, and it would be quite funny if the UFC did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I guess mean, the, the adage you see, of you know they can't because as Don Davis has informed us, PFL owns 100% of the top women's featherweights in the world. <laughs> Don Davis catching strays. That's one of the funniest God, tweets God. I've ever read in my life, Mike. It's it's Don very Davis good. Is the it's most very unintentionally good. funny man in the sport. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, let's move on, shall we? The point for round four goes to. The Don Davis firer of strays, Jed Mishu. It is two to two. This is the best tweet ever. Like just, just bragging about nothing and not even true is great. This is great. If you go through Don Davis's last like four months of tweets, it's really it's epic because he doesn't tweet all the whole lot, but everyone is just better than the it's than the previous. Eighty percent success rate of just bangers. <laughs> Man understand. Man doesn't understand Twitter, but God, he's an epic poster. Yes, absolutely. Uh, time for the knockout round, guys. We're gonna have some fun with this. Uh, plus, I missed the second round, which seemed to be the most contentious round of the show. Uh, so we're gonna kind of go full circle here. And we're gonna have some fun here. So, Jed, uh, we will go to you first. You did win the last battle between yourself and Brian Campbell. We got the cannonball here. You want to go first? You want to go second? I'll go second. I'll let BC. Uh, I'll let BC take the take the reins here. All right, 
BC, this is what we're going to do. Okay. Dana White just called you on the phone. They said, look, he's like, I, I'm catching too many strays from the fans for my fight announcements here. So I want you to do it for me, BC. I want you to make the announcement of the main event of UFC 300. All right. You could do it as Dana White. You could do it as Brian Campbell. I don't give a shit, whatever you want to do. But for the next 60 seconds, you are going to sell this card as the epic UFC 300 that you dream of, that you feel everybody else will be dreaming of. 60 seconds on the clock, my friend. Go. Um, all right, everyone. I know you haven't loved our fight announcements, but get ready. You know, when Slap Jesus and the Wolfman take on each other, it's big in India. So, you know, we got that going for us. Here's the deal, folks. All right. Uh, where are we out here? F it Thursday. Uh, I'll tell you this. It's going to be a banger, though, because Israel Odessinia is back, guys. I know he said he was retiring or going away for a long time. We don't know the current status of his sagging left nipple, but he's going to be back against the winner of somebody who's got a fight coming up. And, man, we hope they know. Here's the serious deal. One of the greatest rivalries in combat sports history is actually Pereira versus Adesanya. Let's do Chapter 3 MMA, Chapter 5 overall for the 205-pound title. If Pereira wins, it's one step closer to immortality in less than 10 fights. And if Adesanya wins, it's the long-awaited two-division championship that his legend endures. And also, Brian Campbell, we hear you, and we're coming for you. Excellent job. Excellent job. Jed? He kept it to a minute. He did it. That's the upset of the year. He might just win on principle right there. So, by the way, you can cast your votes after Jed gives his answer. So, uh, Jed, you're announcing the main event. You could do it as Dana White. Uh, Your impersonations have been incredible. I can't forget the Michael Chandler impersonation you did back in the day on the show. Uh, So maybe this will be the new one, the new generation of incredible Jed impersonations. Announce the UFC 300 main event, Jed. You're on the UFC Instagram. You're going live right now for the next 60 seconds. Wow us. Go. All right, dummies. I see you all out there. These are idiots out there saying that we don't have our hand on the wheel, that we've just let things run amok and we don't have a plan. I promised you the best, the biggest fight card of all time. And when have I ever not delivered except all those times I haven't, but let's forget about those because what's happening. UFC 300. You've got the co-main event, Leon Edwards, Bilal Muhammad. Uh, That's a terrific fight between two guys who are good. Uh, But the main event Israel Adesanya. He's back, and you know who he's back to fight? He's back to fight the man himself. The UFC middleweight champion, Drickus Duplessis, who just ran over Sean Strickland. These two got a lot of animosity. They hate it. They can't stand each other. And they are going to get in there, and they are finally going to settle. Who is the true African champion in the UFC? UFC 300, April, whatever that date is. Buy your tickets now. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is exciting. I'm I'm already more pumped for UFC 300 just after the last two minutes, and none of these fights are official. But Israel Adesanya attached to both of these, so let me ask you this, gentlemen. While we tabulate the votes, we'll waste some time. Uh, just seriously, like I understand the the rivalry there and all of that, but let's put, let's take all that aside right now and just talk about like just weirdness and potential. Would you rather see BC Adesanya Pereira three for the 205 pound title? Or would you rather see Alex Pereira 
fight for the heavyweight title or fight Tom Aspinall oh, oh. for the interim heavyweight title. Is it Without easy? Question, is it easy out of Sonia? That's an interesting easy out of Sonia. You, you want it. Look, I mean, I got the Marquez Pacquiao poster over here. The fourth one is the greatest rivalry of my combat sports life. I want something like that in MMA. As great as Jones and Cormier was, it was two fights. One doesn't count. John won both of them. I would love to see this go to a fifth chapter because of the dramatic come from behind knockouts that we've seen so many times for the way that Pereira has owned him mentally. Yet Izzy has the greatest moment of the rivalry and the most recent giant strike against him by coming back and knocking him out in Miami there. Uh, it's way bigger. And as much as I love and respect Poetan and want him to be considered a true legend, and he is, we would be leaping to throw him into a third division right now until at the very least he defends this title at 205. And this ain't even the full title, right? It's the interim strap, which is kind of the full title now because of Jones Stipe. But it would feel like a little bit of a forced job to make 300 magical when, as we established here, as long as Izzy's willing to fight, I think we're going to be fine. And I did see a headline just while you guys were talking that Izzy officially confirmed he will be at the fight card in Toronto to watch Strickland from cage side. So it does lend me to believe we're going to see him. Let's go 205 because the added history of him trying to become a two-division champion only adds to this thing. What do you think, Jed? We have... I'll you know, Pereira oh, Adesanya is a back pocket fight. We could do this anytime, but for 300, what would you rather see? Uh, I, I legitimately would rather see Pereira Asmal. I, I recognize that it would make far more sense uh, to do what Brian wants to do. Pereira Asmal is way more fun. It, it's cartoonish in a way that is kind of befitting 300, particularly when you look back at 200 and us bringing Brock back and all the circus like surrounding of that. And it opens up Izzy. Look, I know people love the Izzy Pereira uh, rivalry, and it's it's great. Like uh, the the fights were compelling, and it, it it's very interesting. I have watched them fight each other four times, and I will continue to watch them fight. But I desperately want to see Izzy fight Dricus Duplessis. I've I've wanted that fight for for a long time. I do think DDP is going to win. I that's what the Toronto. Like, I legitimately am just so confident that the Toronto setup is. Did DDP win? Is he going to say yes to turning this around? Dana will announce that fight at the post presser if those things happen. And if not, then maybe it is Strickland Izzy. But I really want to see Izzy fight at middleweight. And that's part of the thing with Pereira. That fight is awesome. That fight at light heavyweight is still great. But because Pereira has the belt, I don't care about it. it. It's weird because Izzy's not not a light heavyweight. He's not the light heavyweight champion. He tried and failed like already. And so he would get this title in a very odd situation. And then is he going to fight Magomed and Goliath of the world? I'm not sure how that would go. That creates a lot of weirdness. Whereas instead, Alex Pereira can fight Tom Aspinall, probably lose. But if he has somehow become a three-division champion in three years inside of the UFC, that's hilarious and incredible. And I guarantee you, I will bet my left foot. I will hack it off with a chainsaw. But if Pereira fights Aspinall and beats him, buddy, I can't tell you how fast John Jones will, will no longer be like, I got to fight Stipe. I'll be like, hey. I'm interested in fighting Alex Pereira as well. So then we get that that end of it too. So I just think there's more there's more opportunity if if we go Pereira Aspinall. Ah, oh, it's just so fun. All right. Would it not be the funniest thing in the world for Pereira be to beat funny. Aspinall? John immediately tweets, so much for the new generation or whatever. <laughs> and then a week later, it's like, because a, a thousand percent, he would just have like a smug ass tweet. And then a week later, he'd be like, 
F it. I'll show you guys I'm not afraid. I'll fight Alex Pereira, which is the most <laughs> insane thing. He would spin it so incredibly. It'd be the best. See? That's why I asked the question. All right, Casey, come on in. Uh, we will have a preview show tomorrow Mike. for UFC Vegas 84. Uh, I believe 1 p.m. Eastern, so stay tuned for that. Casey, do we have a winner? Oh, yeah, we got a winner. We got okay. a winner. Excellent. Who is it? Your winner today with 60% of the fan votes is... Damn. Mr. Brian Campbell. Oh, he's back. He's back. There's no pools to cannonball into. BC gets it done. No what streaking. There will be no streaking. Thank God. BC, congratulations. <laughs> Welcome back to the win column. How are we feeling? Very good. Very good, guys. I didn't want to feel like BJ after the second Frankie fight. No, my career was over. I'm back in it, baby. Jed, lip my shoe. Uh, you can lick my shoes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jed, how are we feeling? <laughs> you know, I'm okay because I got to deliver the best promo of my life on John Jones. Tom, if you're out there, if you see this, uh, just DMs are open, buddy. Hit me up. I'm, I'm happy to talk strategy about gaslighting this man who is terrified of you. What a show. This is a memorable one. What a way to kick off the the battle portion of BTL. We did the Q&A last week. This is this is what the show is all about. So thank you, Jed. Thank you, BC. Casey, hit the music. Let's get the hell out of here. I got to pick my kid up at school. So thank you all very much. I appreciate you. Back next week, we'll react to UFC Vegas 84, and we will get you ready for the first pay-per-view of 2024, UFC 297. Sean Strickland versus Drickus Duplessis. Myra Buena Silva versus Raquel Pennington for the vacant women's Bantamweight title. <laughs> White belts. We're all excited. So thank you all. We'll see you back next week. For Jed, for BC, for Casey on the ones and twos, I am Mike Heck, the iconic voice of Esterlin takes you home. Back next week. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.